This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Change your vehicle's oil before your summer road trip and save money now with Pennzoil and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic for just $22.95 after mail-in rebate. Save money and protect your engine against sludge and wear with a synthetic oil change. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today or O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, some big casting news. Vincent Irizarry has been tapped for a new role on Bold and Beautiful. He will play a doctor who will factor into the fallout of the Beth drama and will cross paths with the Foresters, the Logans, and the Spencers. Now, you and I have both worked with Vincent over the years, and since he's been on five other daytime shows, you know, he's a great addition to the cast, and it will be interesting to see what part he will play in this unfolding drama. Yeah. Now, I I have to tell my favorite Vincent Irizarry story. Um, I have talked before about how I was a huge soap fan when I was a kid, but I was not the fan letter writing sort. Um, Although I did at one point come across a very strongly worded letter to the powers that be a guiding light, but it was unsent (laughs) and uh, tucked away in some box from my childhood. Anyway, um, my introduction to Vincent as a viewer was as Scott Clark on Santa Barbara circa 1989. Uh, playing another doctor. Uh, But he, of course, had risen to soap fame in his very first uh, role, which was as Guiding Light iconoclast Brandon Lujak Luvonichak, which I knew all about from reading Soap Opera Digest. And in 1991, GL rehired him to play Lujak lookalike Nick McHenry, who was ultimately revealed to be Lujak's twin. There was like a whole lot of fanfare surrounding his return, which was announced at the daytime Emmys. And I was obviously so excited by this that I actually sent him a letter Like I mailed it and everything. Old school. Um, Although I have no memory of doing this. (laughs) So fast forward like over 10 years later, I'm working at Digest and I'm assigned to cover all my children where Vincent is uh, now playing Dr. David Hayward. And I interviewed him many times. We had a really nice rapport. And then at some point I had gone back to my hometown to clear out some of my childhood belongings when my parents were moving. And in a box I found an autographed headshot from Vincent. Um, I knew I knew by the hair I could date it to 1991. And uh and it said, uh, Dear Mara Kay, may all your dreams come true. Like, love Vincent Arizari. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, so at that point, I really had, like, the vaguest memory of the whole Guiding Light daytime Emmys announcement scenario. And I realized that he must have sent the photo to me in response to, like, whatever I sent him. I mean, God knows Classy. what I would have written. So anyway, I tucked the, uh, the headshot into my suitcase. I came back to New York. And the next time I interviewed Vincent in person, which was over lunch near the All My Children's studio. Remember I those had, days? I know. I know. I know. 
we don't get to do that a lot anymore because none of the shows shoot here uh, in New York. But um, I interviewed him near the All My Children studio. I had this headshot squirreled away in my purse. We did the interview. I remember with his encouragement that I tried calamari for the first time. Thank you so much, Vincent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we were wrapping up, I said, I just have one more question for you, Vincent. Um, did you really want all my dreams to come true? And I like <laughs> pulled out the headshot and, you know, we had not only a good chuckle, um, but a really like lovely moment over what a full circle moment we were having. And it's a very special memory Aww. for me because all my dreams did come true because I think at the time that I sent that fan letter in 1991 as like a 14-year-old, my dream was to work at Top Opera Digest. Oh, I love that. And here you are 20 years later. Yep, yep. Um, Well, I could not love that story more. But really, did he want all your dreams to come true? Did I, you ever I, I confronted that? him okay. that day about that as well, and he insists that, yes, he did. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm happy it worked out for everybody then. Um, so I actually met Vincent during his Nick McHenry years on Guiding Light. Um, so what stands out to me is that there was this goodbye party for Mark Derwin and Beth Ellers, who played Harley and Mallet, and they left the show. And we were at a bar somewhere in the city, And Vincent sat down and started playing the piano. And I believe it was a Springsteen tune. I am a huge Springsteen fan. And he was really good. And we ended up chatting that night for the first time. And, you know, from there, we have had many chats over the years. Uh, Anyway, he definitely brings star power to Bold and Beautiful. He is so familiar to so many viewers across the three networks. And, you know, I like when shows cast familiar vets in new roles. I think there's a built-in recognition factor, which helps you immediately connect to a new character. You know, I really don't have those issues of, oh, he was on too many other shows. <laughs> you know, I like that I already know the person. Uh, what about you? I definitely think that it, think that it piques, like, the true soap fans' interest more to see a Vincent Irizarry in a role than to see someone fans of the genre aren't familiar with. Um, you know, we've talked before, I think, uh, on the podcast about how it it can be a little jarring, especially at first, to, you know, look at Jason Thompson on YNR playing Billy and not see him as GH's Patrick. But you make the adjustment, and I'm one of those people who are loyal to my soap people, and I would rather they be employed than some actor or actress that I don't already know. Um, I don't think that there would be any interest, really, in, like, a no-name individual coming to B&B as a doctor that we don't know. But because it's Vincent, here we are. We're talking about it on the podcast. (laughs) Exactly. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm all for finding new talent and new actors. You know, hey, everybody needs a break. But there definitely have been times where certain roles were cast where I found myself thinking, oh, I wish they had gotten, you know, insert familiar soap that here for Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think it's a hard area of the business to crack in a way because you really have to be likable or you just won't last. You know, fans are seeing you every week through the course of a year. And if you are a newbie who never clicks, you are done. That's very true, you know, and I thought it was interesting um, that when the news broke about Vincent joining B&B, some people expressed that they were bummed that he was going to B&B and not to GH Mm -hmm. uh, to reprise his AMC role, David, because a lot of viewers were really into his pairing in Pine Valley with Finola Hughes' Anna during her crossover years there. Um, And I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but it, like, would be odd to have him as David and Finola as Anna, while Rebecca Buttig is on the canvas as Hayden, since her All My Children character, Greenlee, was also once married to David. Oh, that. Um, I have to say, though, uh, that, you know, we had seen Lulu on GH on like a slew of random internet dates for the investigation that she's doing. But the second that one of them was played by Mark Lawson, who One Life viewers will remember as Brody, it seemed obvious that he was going to be a more significant player. And indeed, his Dustin has um, already made another appearance. Mm-hmm. 
there you go. Familiar face. So, you know, I would love to see Vincent reprise the role of David over at GH. Um, I totally get that would be a little strange with Rebecca, but, you know, I can overlook it. Clearly, I'm willing to compromise a lot to keep the good <laughs> actors and the past storylines around. You know, I think it would be a fun spoiler for Finn and Anna. And think of all the mischief that David and Obrecht could make together. There are so many possibilities there. I, that would be amazing to see the, those two in a scene. Uh, David was a great villain, and I, I would love to see him again. Um, you know, we've had One Life to Live. People pop into Port Charles, but not really Pine Valley people. So I would really be all for that. Um, and, you know, on the subject of David, he brought Stuart Chandler back to life. So I will be forever grateful to him, <laughs> despite his villain, villainy. <laughs> that was a make good. And uh, he did bring libidazone, I feel like, mm-hmm. into yes. this. So, so many classic so many uh, medical miracles uh, we have David to thank for. Well, our guest today is a soap vet who took over for another soap vet, but it's over at Days. So it's Brandon Barash who stepped in to play the role of Stefan DeMera when Tyler Christopher left the show. Uh, now, the two actors had actually worked together at GH, and since it was such a quick recast, you know, this is a case where the show was likely looking for someone who was popular with the audience, who they knew could get the job done, and hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. So let's get Brandon on the phone to talk all about it. Hi, Brandon. Hello, ladies. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, you are in very big story right now on Days of Our Lives. So let's talk about this day's role. Um, we've talked before in the magazine how it was a quick recast, but what can you tell us about getting the call to play Stefan and how did you prepare for it? Oh, gosh. I was, uh, I was actually sitting at lunch with a friend I hadn't seen in several months and uh, when we wrapped up, I looked at my phone and I had, had I had several missed calls from my manager's office and then a bunch of texts from his personal phone. I thought, huh, OK, something's going on. <laughs> and I called him and he said, uh, would you be willing to go to work for Days of Our Lives tomorrow? I was like, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. And he told me more. And I said, uh, yeah, let's do it. And he said, you know, it's probably only going to just be a month and. And, um, you know, it'll be quick and, and you'll have a lot of fun. It's, a, you know, the character's in a big storyline right now. They're going to courier you the scripts. So then I was expecting, I was home later that afternoon, expecting a couple of scripts to show up. And they delivered six for my first three days. <laughs> and I thought, wow, okay. Th- there wasn't much time to do anything else but just break down the script and learn the lines. Uh, I've said this many times. I, I respect Tyler Christopher's work immensely. And um, I mean, regardless who was in the role, I wouldn't want to do a, my impression of them playing that role. I made it a point not to watch anything, just to read what was on the page and in between the words and uh, play each scene honestly. Mm-hmm. What were your first days like there? I think I did two shows that first day. Wow. Yeah, I did two shows and, you know, I hadn't done daytime in, oh God, uh, let's see, it was 20, what was last year? 2018. Uh, so I think I left General Hospital. Uh, I mean, I, I left, I said goodbye from my, you know, contract days in 2014. And then they would have me on like once a year to do a handful of episodes. But as far as like that grueling pace every day, I hadn't worked that since 2014. And so it was, uh, it was a quick, you know, kind of jolt to, to the psyche. But I, after they called cut after that first scene, it's like, I was right back in the groove. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so how would you characterize your first days there? My first days at days, they were hectic. They were, my head was spinning, ready to explode. Uh, 
again, I did six shows in, in my first three days. I think that was like a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So by Friday night, I, I was definitely ready for a break. Although I didn't get that, I had to hop in a car and drive to Vegas to uh, do a brand deal for The Fathership, which is my Instagram handle. Mm-hmm. Uh, my buddy Tyler and I, we uh, were hired on behalf of SiriusXM and Toyota to do a uh, music festival out there. Oh God, and so I went from, yeah, I went from finishing my sixth episode. I walked across the street uh, to the Whole Foods there, got a bunch of stuff for the road, got in the minivan that we were hired to drive across the <laughs> desert. And, uh, and, you know, five hours later, we were in Vegas. So That's amazing. It, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Who did you know at the set going in? I knew a bunch of people. The great thing about, you know, working daytime for as long as I did, which like what, seven years, you, you do a bunch of events and you meet, it's a very, very small community. You meet a bunch of actors and actresses from different shows, you know, who kind of go in and out. Um, and I mean, yeah, the, the first two people kind of took me under their wings were, um, Nadia and Eric. And, it was great. They kind of sat me down in Eric's room and my first scenes were with Nadia and Eric, I believe actually. And they kind of sat, they sat me down in Eric's room and said, all right, here's the land. Here's this stage manager's story. Here's this stage manager's story. If this person barks at you, don't take it personally. They bark at everybody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. And it was, it was great. Yeah, it was great. It was just, um, again, it, it very quickly, yes, my head was spinning, but it became, it became old hat. And, um, yeah, there was, I would say there were between, I would say at least five to seven people, maybe 10 people who I had met before or had been friends with at some point over the last, well, now I'm in 10 years. Well, no, I started GH, what, 07, so 12 years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I've been a part of that community. Yeah. Um, now, did it take you a while to feel like the role was yours or did it sort of feel that way right when you started? You know, it it felt very natural. Uh, it really did. I, I took to him immediately. Uh, I don't know what that says about me as a person, but you know, <laughs> I, I took to Stefan. I took to Stefan very quickly. I felt very much um, in his body, in his psyche, very quickly. Yeah, it just happened. Again, there wasn't time to think about it. You know what I mean? It was like you're going to, you know, you're going to hit the ground running. And, um, it was, there was no, no room for second guessing choices or getting in my head about anything, which if I had, you know, taken this task on in my twenties, uh, it it would have been, there would have been a very different result. I think. What would happen then? Well, it just, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have taken to it so seamlessly. Again, it was, it was very easy for me. I abandoned, you know, everything but my trust in myself and my scene partners. And it, it served me right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if I'm not mistaken, I feel like I saw a picture of you and Tyler at the daytime Emmys. Um, did you two connect there? And if so, what did you talk about? We did. I, I reached out to him uh, a day or two before and asked him if he was going to be there. And cause you know, we hadn't spoken since God, probably since I can't remember who left general hospital first. I think he did. So we probably hadn't spoken since then. And again, we were friends back in the day. So I wanted to reach out to him and, you know, just let him know that even though I was playing a part that he originated, like it just wasn't going to be weird. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
And so um, I reached out, we sent some text messages and we saw each other and it was just, we picked up where we left off. It was great to see him. Now let's go back to the beginning of your acting career. You had planned to be a surgeon, but that didn't happen. Yes. So how did you get into acting? I was uh, 15, living in Houston, Texas, and uh, five foot 11, as I still am today, <laughs> thinking <laughs> that I would be one of the few prof- Jewish professional basketball players. <laughs> right on. Uh, and as much as I loved the game of basketball, my body did not. And my knees gave out at the age of 15. And I remember going to the doctor, uh, the, the orthopedic surgeon, and he said, look, man, you know, you're 15 years old, your knees are crapping out. I can perform surgery on you on both knees, or you can find something else to do. And it broke my heart. Like basketball was my life. I was that kid who walked to the bus stop with the basketball, took the basketball to school, dribbled it from class to class. Um, and it just, it, it destroyed me. And so I had to quit the team and my dad, uh, who was very loving and also gave me a lot of structure, uh, said, I feel for you. I know you're upset, but you're not coming home and pouting all day. You have to find something else to do. Um, but you're not coming home after school. You, you will be involved in extracurricular activities. I was like, all right, fine. I don't know what to do, but okay. So, uh, my girlfriend at the time was in the school musical And long story short, she got me an audition for one of the parts in the musical, the lead in the musical had opened up. Uh, And she, uh, let's see, she, my best friend at the time gave up his role in the musical to be on the basketball team. So it was a really funny, like little twist of fate. (laughs) Really? And long story short or long story long, I, she got me an audition for this, for this part. I was livid. I was like, I want nothing to do with theater. She's like, you'd be really good. I said, I want nothing to do with it. I have enough homework. I see you guys running your lines till six o'clock at night after school. Like I want, n- I have enough work to do. <laughs> anyway, she said, well, here, here's the material. It was Monday. She said, your auditions on Friday. She gave me the material. And that night I had a pretty good idea uh, what I was going to do for the rest of my life if I wow. decided not to be uh, a surgeon. And I, I got the part. And so I went to school at USC before the whole admission scandal <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and got in on merit. Thank you very much. Well done. And and um, and yeah. And so I, uh, I went to school there and enrolled uh, as a pre-med student in uh, the BFA program in their school of theater which put me in class from eight o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night every day for my first year and a half. And finally a year and a half into it, I was like, something's got to give. Seriously. This is just not working. Like I'm doing well at both, but not excelling at either one. You know, it was kind of like, um, Jack of all trades, master of none. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought, all right, if I'm honest with myself and my aspirations, not my parents and not my grandparents' aspirations for me, I want to be an actor. And so I'll never forget, I was walking through the bookstore looking for my anatomy and physiology books. And I was like, this is like, I love these books, but this just, I can't do this anymore. And so I left the bookstore and walked back to my dorm, called my dad. And I said, Hey, uh, you're not going to like this, but I'm dropping out of pre-med. I'm, I'm going, I'm putting all of my eggs in one basket. Cause the big thing was you can, you know, getting, getting admitted into the BFA program at USC. And I I think most BFA programs is a very selective process. They, they admit maybe 1% of the kids who apply. And so, 
you know, my dad said, I'll absolutely send you to USC for this. Uh, I was very fortunate. Like I did not have to pay for my education. He fronted it for me. He said, but you need to have a backup plan. And so, you know, being like the practical neurotic Jewish father that he was, and now that I am, (laughs) he said, you need, you need to have a backup plan. And I was like, all right. And it was walking from the bookstore to my dorm room that day before I called my dad. I, I, I had the realization that a backup plan, if you have a backup plan in life, you are you going to end up doing whatever that backup plan is. If the safety net is there, you absolutely will fall. But if the safety net is not there, you're going to do everything you possibly can in, in your will to stay on that rope and walk across. So that's what I told him. I said, look, it's just, if I'm honest with myself, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I'm good at it. I know I will do it for the rest of my life. I know I will succeed. And that's my choice. And he, he paused and I thought, I thought I was just going to get ripped. <laughs> and he said, okay. He said, I support you, whatever you want to do. I believe in you. Hmm. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, he was, I, you know, we, we talked years later and he said, yeah, I was freaking out. I was very scared for you. But he didn't let on. Like, that's the kind of man that he was. And, um, yeah, so he supported me 100%. And the rest, as they say, is history. So you booked the Gilmore Girls soon after arriving in L.A. You also appeared on The West Wing and 24, which are some pretty impressive bookings. Um, Did you feel you had made the right choice? I knew I made the right choice the day I made the choice. Um, But, but yes, it didn't hurt that two months after – my college graduation, I was working, I was recurring on the Gilmore Girls. It definitely helped um, solidify for me and certainly for my family members. Mm-hmm. I feel that show has such yeah. like cult status now. Do you still get fans from it? Mm. You know, I'll get people writing me on social media sometimes who say, oh my God, I was just watching such and such and I realized you're Jamie from the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> and it's re- it's really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, cuz you know that was my that was my first speaking role ever. My first role on television, I was an extra on uh, Ally McBeal mm-hmm. trying to get my SAG card. And so I didn't speak. I just literally stood in front of the camera and smiled in a group of men who were models who Ally had to choose to go on a date with. Uh, and that was my first SAG voucher. And so, but it turned out I ended up not needing the SAG vouchers because Gilmore Girls just hired me straight out. Oh, that's awesome. I was very, I was very lucky. Yeah. What do you remember about your GH audition? I had been in to audition for General Hospital many times. Um, you know, the first few times I would, I would go in and pre-read for Mark, which is the first audition. And then I would get called back and then I'd get, you know, called back again and make it to final callbacks. And that had happened probably four times. And I'll never forget this. It's really strange how the the hippocampus works, how it can almost retroactively write history. Because if you think about the great things and and also some tragic things that have happened in your life, you remember almost everything about that memory and around it, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's like I could probably go through and tell you about every single audition that I've ever booked, but if you went down the list and asked me to tell you about certain auditions that I did not book, mm-hmm. I would not be able to tell you. If you went down the list and say, okay, which were the ones you bombed, I would be able to tell you. So it's really interesting how that works. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I remember I was working my day job. I was employed by Nordstrom. I was managing their 
men's Foss and Ob store when they had a uh, boutique on, on uh, uh, Wilshire and Rodeo Drive back in Beverly Hills. And uh, I got a, uh, an email from my manager saying, you have an audition for General Hospital next Monday. It was like, I don't know, Thursday. And he said, you should read it. Um, I think you'll be really interested in this role. He said, it's a final callback. They know you. They love you. Um, read it. Let me know if you want to go. And so I went into my office and snuck away, printed out the sides, and then took those into a stock room <laughs> um, and sat there and, and read the sides. And as I'm reading the sides, I thought to myself, this is my part. I know it. Like this, this all I have to do is go home, do the work, show up, and this is mine. I, I will play this part. And I went in, and there were two other guys. Uh, I remember they were dressed very they, like they had chosen to dress very differently than I did. Uh, and I went in, did my audition, felt great about it, walked out. Uh, and on the way home, uh, I got the call that I got the part. And I started crying because that meant I could quit my job. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't quit the job until I was offered a contract. Like, you know, I talked with my dad who, you know, was always kind of my compass. And he said it would, you know, be very unwise for you to quit your job before you're under contract. And I said, you're right. So I didn't quit. And the day I was offered a contract, I walked into work, my not general hospital, but my retail job. And I uh, went to the manager of the store who was a very good friend of mine. And I said, look, um, I'm going to quit. And she started crying. She said, I was told to fire you two months ago and I couldn't do it <laughs> because I was going out. I was working a lot as an, as, as an actor those days. And so I would take time off and I was doing a great job at the store, but they knew that that job wasn't my end game. And, mm -hmm. you know, like any decent leader of a team would think they thought, all right, well, we need to move him out and get somebody in here who's a lifer which I totally agree with. So anyway, she was elated. I was elated. And yeah, that's how that went down. Wow. Okay. So there you were, a nice Jewish boy cast as an Italian mobster. Um, yeah. And then they built a family around you with, coincidentally, all Jewish actors playing in the storyline yeah, with you. Right. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Think about that. Yeah. And Stephen Mocked and Sarah Brown. Oh, Fellow yeah. tribal here. So um <laughs> let me tell you something real quick about Stephen Mock. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna get I'm gonna get I'm gonna get deep and, and a little sad for a second, but um it was I'm gonna have a hard time telling you this. Um it was about nineteen months ago and my family and I, my brother, sister, uh stepmom and brother in law, sister in law nephew were all in, uh, at UCLA hospital. My dad had gone in for heart surgery and the surgeon fucked up and, uh, he died. So and so he, yeah, it's terrible. But as he lay in his hospital bed on life support, they, they told us, uh, this was a Saturday morning. They said, he's not, they said, we've done everything. He will not come out of this. Uh, we can keep him on life support, but that's all it's going to be. He will never wake up. Uh, the hospital chaplain is not here today, so you guys should call if, if that's what you want to do. You should call if you have a rabbi in the family or somebody. Uh, would now would be the time to call them. And you know, obviously, we were all devastated, and we all looked at each other. We don't have a family rabbi, and I thought, oh my God, Stephen mocked 
is a rabbi. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. little, little known fact for you. And so I called him and I could barely string three words together. And I eventually was able to tell him what was going on. And within, I would say, 15 minutes, he was at the hospital. Oh and it was the most, it was, it was the most beautiful thing. I mean, we all gathered around his hospital bed and Stephen just, you know, wrapped a prayer shawl around himself and around my dad and said some prayers for him and sent him off into the next uh, dimension, if you will. So wow, that's amazing. Uh, that role. Yeah. That role started um, a really beautiful friendship and uh, I'm, I'm grateful for it for many reasons. Of course. Yeah. That's an amazing story. He's such a nice man, yeah. Stephen. Um, yes. So, you know, when they did create that family for you, I guess you never could have anticipated where it would lead, but um, you know, what do you remember feeling at the time in that Johnny was obviously going to become, you know, sort of secure on the canvas. It was, it was a pretty cool experience. It wasn't, you know, too dissimilar from this whole Stefan thing. It's like, you know, when some, when you're doing something and it's going well, you just put your head down, you go to work, you do your job and you go home. And, you know, that for me helps keep me focused. And so it was one of those things I didn't want to sit and question like, wow, this is happening. This is great. Why is this happening? Yeah, it was just one of those things that I that I just embraced. It was similar to, um, you know, obviously my approach is a little more developed now, but my approach then was just similar. It was do the work and, and shmooly, knock it off, lay down, lay down. I have this giant 75 pound white boxer who's an excellent guard dog <laughs> uh, and did not like the man who was here to check out the roof. Lay down. It's okay. We're going to be okay. Thank you. You're a good boy. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just one of those things. It, it was happening in warp speed and slow motion at the same time, if you will. Um, it was, you know, I had gone from selling clothes to, you know, filming 20, 30 pages of dialogue a day. And before I knew it, they were saying, yeah, so we're bringing in this person to play your father, this person to play your sister, who eventually is going to become your mother. <laughs> and it was not just it at was all. all I could think. <laughs> yeah, not, not weird at all. Uh, and all I could think was like, wow, this is, this is awesome. I'm living my dream. And, and it felt good. What stands out to you now about your GH run? Oh God. What do I think about? Well, it's indirectly or very directly responsible for the birth and the existence of my daughter. Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing I got out of General Hospital was um, the most beautiful, uh, incredible gift I've ever been given, which is my little girl. And uh, that happened because Kirsten and I became friends and uh, years later started dating. And um, we ended up with... Uh, just a, a miracle of a child. She really cannot be cuter. I mean, your Instagram is just uh, insane thanks. to follow because she she's is, so adorable. Yeah, she is. She's such a great kid. I'm. I'm just every day. I just marvel at her and the stuff that she does and the stuff that she says and the initiative she takes to help out around the house or with other people. It's just oh god, this kid is is yeah. Great. Yeah, she's really amazing. Um, when you did wrap uh, up at GH, like, what were your feelings about leaving? Were you ready? I was ready to leave. I mean, it was my choice to leave, so mm-hmm. obviously, I was ready to leave. 
uh, I was just ready to move on to the next thing. I didn't know what that was going to be, but I was ready. I was grateful for my time there. Uh, they treated me very well. Um, but having said that, yeah, I was ready for the next adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, something else that came out of that experience was Port Chuck. Um, so yeah. talk about, you know, singing with those guys and life on the road and just the experience of being in a band. It's very different, but not too dissimilar to acting in that when you put on a show in the theater, you, you get that, uh, energy exchange with the, uh, with the audience. It's, it's an immediate synergy that you're hooked, hooked into. And, um, that's also the way it feels putting on a live, a live, uh, quote, rock show, if you will, uh, where a, a really great but glorified cover band. Uh, Steve came to, uh, to, uh, up to me and Bradford one day as we were walking off set, and he's like, hey, I got an idea. Steve always, always has ideas. <laughs> and so we're like, okay, what is it this time? He says, you, Bradford, Scott Reeves, and I, we're going to start a band. <laughs> and I started laughing at him. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. He's like, no, 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 just hear me out. We all go on fan events and they're fine, but they get kind of monotonous for the fans after a while. Cause you just show up, you talk, you go around the room and that's it. Let's give them a whole show. Let's give them an experience. He said, so, cause we had gone, uh, karaoke, we had gone to karaoke together, Bradford, Steve and I, uh, at a, uh, an event in New York. Um, uh, I don't know, a month or so before. And so that got Steve's wheels turning. He's like, look, I already know you guys can sing. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't really sing, but I can rap. Scott sings and plays guitar. We'll hire a band to play behind us. And Brad and I were like, sure, fine. And I honestly that day thought we would be nothing but a glorified garage band. Like that's <laughs> I had no expectation that it was going to become what it did. And so we started, we started rehearsing and then Steve being the great businessman that, that he is, uh, ended up getting us plugged into the CMA fest, you know, cause ABC soaps were already making appearances there anyway. So Steve said, let us, let us put on like a 45 minute show. And so they did. And we played at the block party. It was like probably 105 degrees outside with the heat index oh, in that is in Nashville. <laughs> Like one of the most jaded music, uh, and right, rightfully so, one of the most jaded music uh, 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 cities in the world. And we're thinking like, oh, my God, this is our first show. They're going to like rip us to shreds if we suck. <laughs> and, of course, in our own minds, we're legends, but you just never know. And so we start performing, and there are maybe about 100 people in the tent. And the, so the tent is, is very empty. And by the end of our show, there were people gathered. The tent was completely full, and there were people spilled out outside of the tent. I think there were like almost two thousand people there. They counted. Oh my god, that's and, awesome! And so ABC saw that, and they said, "Great, uh, we just saw the response you guys had. We'd like to sponsor your first tour." So they sponsored our first tour, and it was just it was it was a dream. We we. <laughs> For, I don't know, four or so years, once or twice, at least a year for a week to two weeks at a time, we'd get this incredibly extravagant um, tour bus and 12 of us would pile in, you know, with with our band members and our guys that would help us on the road and everything. Um, We'd pile in the bus and drive across the country and perform rock shows. And it was it was 
like a dream. It was so surreal, but so much fun. Well, tell us about Life on the Road with Steve, Scott, and Bradford. Uh, life on the Road, I mean, it's, it's, it's not as glamorous as you would think. Most of the nights, you know, we would either sleep in our bunks, which are, um, you, you'd have more room sleeping in a coffin. <laughs> uh, but we didn't care because we were on the road together and it was just such a fun time. You know, the camaraderie that comes out of that is, is, is pretty awesome. And uh, we would, you know, just drive through the middle of nowhere, stop to take pictures, walk around. If we'd have a free afternoon, like, you know, in Niagara or in, in Buffalo, New York, we'd go to Niagara Falls. And it was just, it was, it, you know, we were friends before, but we, but Port Chuck made us uh, brothers. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, in between your soap gigs, you also booked major crimes. Uh, what was that like to be in? Uh, major crimes. It was a trip. It was, uh, first of all, an immensely talented cast. And of course you have GW Bailey in there who I admired and would impersonate as a kid from his police Academy movies His, <laughs> you know, his move it, move it, move it. And it was, uh, it was so much fun. It was one of those jobs like general hospital, like days of our lives where I was hired for one episode and ended up, uh, doing six episodes over the span of two or three seasons, I think. So, um, it was a great group to be a part of. I was honored and, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Well, we certainly didn't talk enough about Harper. So let's go back to her. Um, you clearly are yeah. a very active dad. Uh, tell us about just your relationship with her and your approach to parenting. Uh, sure. Well, no, no relationship, no job, nothing in life is more important than my role as, as a father. And, um, you know, it's been a journey to get here. It's, uh, it's the way I parent is, um, with, you know, I, I, I make a very concerted effort to be fully present. You know, at the end of each day, I ask myself, is my daughter healthy? Does she feel safe? Does she feel worthy? Does she feel loved? And hopefully the answer is yes to all those questions. And if I hesitate, I do some, you know, further investigating and figure out like what I can do to make myself better, to make her feel better. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, again, I will never have a better or more important job, uh, in this life than, than to be her father. And it's a job I take very seriously. Uh, every, every decision I make in life is about her. Every single choice is with her in mind. And that's very different. You know, it wasn't obviously it always it wasn't always like that. And I I was able to live a very selfish life for a while. And I mean, it depends on who you talk to now. Some people would call me selfish, but it's it's all in the name of providing a good life for my daughter. So, um, you know, obviously that will other, you know, outside relationships can suffer because it makes it very hard, like. Um, I recently got out of a one-year relationship because I just did not have the time. She was the most incredible woman and is going to make some man very, very, very lucky and happy one day, but that's just not me. And, and part of that is, you know, my, my daughter comes first and so does my career because they go hand in hand. I have to have my career to provide for my daughter. And so, um, yeah, everything I do is with her in mind and, um, it always will be. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of things do you like to do with her? We, on any given night, you could look into our house and we could be dressed up in full princess garb while 
staging, you know, an epic dinosaur battle. She has hundreds and hundreds, literally, I mean, and a lot of them are very small, but she has probably close to between 100 and 200 uh, dinosaur toys, like little plastic dinosaurs. And, you know, she's the kind of girl who will dress up like a princess, but play with her dinosaurs. She's very well-rounded. Um, she, you know, we like going on bike rides. We like, I, you know, I've, I've uh, over the last few years taught her how to hit a baseball. And, you know, then we'll put on like a fake dance class in the middle of a house or we'll cook together. It's, it's just, you know, we kind of go with it. And she's not like, she's not like your normal kid who's like, no, that, that's not a kid thing. I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound fun. This kid is happy to do anything together and we do it all together. Um, you know, sometimes are a little more difficult than others. Like yesterday I picked her up from camp and I said, Hey boo, we have to go to the grocery store. And she got really upset. And I said, why are you upset? She's like, I hate going to the grocery store. And at first I said to her, all right, you know, cause she was, she was getting pretty heated about it. And I said to her, all right, well, I'll tell you what, I need to eat dinner tonight. So I don't care if you don't get anything, but I need food for myself. And then I caught myself and I was like, well, that, that's not the right way to handle it. So I said, all right, let me break it down for you. There are millions of people in this world um, living in this city, in this state, in this country, in other countries who are starving. Do you know what starving means? And she, you know, she told me what starving meant. I said, okay, there are people who will die today because they can't find food or water. I said, do you understand how lucky we are that we get to, on any given day at any given time, walk into any grocery store and buy whatever we want? Do you realize how lucky we are that we have that opportunity? She said, yes. I said, so instead of getting upset next time you go to, you know, I have to take you to the grocery store because I work all day and I don't have time to do it during the day. Think about how lucky we are to be able to feed ourselves whatever we want when we want. She's like... You're right, Daddy. Let's go to the grocery store. And Aww, it was like good dad lesson. It's, so it's it's just an exercise in being present, right? Like the ego in that moment wants to be like, what the f like my kid doesn't want to go to the grocery store. What the f you know, what's wrong? And instead of reacting, you have to think, okay, she's five. How do you break this down so that she not only understands it, but has a better awareness of of the world at the same time and so it's it's it's, it's constantly doing that dance mm -hmm. um i imagine these are things that you address with the fathership so tell us about the creation of that and the purpose of that it is so uh about oh gosh two years two years ago yeah two almost exactly two years ago uh so i'm a full-time single dad and i was just you know there aren't people around like i've got plenty of single friends plenty of married friends plenty of friends who are married with children some divorced friends but really not any like divorced dads who are the head of the household and so uh i was kind of just having a rough time one day and i reached out to a buddy of mine who is in the same situation and that's tyler Powell, my partner my business partner and he, uh, we said, you know what? We haven't talked in a while. We used to be friends, you know, years back in acting class. We met like 10 plus years ago in acting class. We're very close. Used to go out to bars, talk about our, our feelings and, and listen to Ray LaMontagne in a very straight way. 
Um, and then we eventually lost, we eventually lost touch and via the magic of Instagram, we realized we were both in similar situations, single fat, single fathers of daughters. And so I reached out to him and we sat down at lunch at this, uh, really great Japanese soul food restaurant in studio city called Daishan. It's one of my favorite places. And we just immediately started swapping stories like war stories. Like, Oh my God, dude. So, all right, you have a little girl. What is it like at bath time? Like, does your little girl want you to get in the bath with her? And at what age does that become weird and inappropriate? And then how do you explain to your little girl how to wash her body? I don't know anything about how a little girl's body works. She doesn't know anything about how a little girl's body work works. How do you explain how to clean down there so it doesn't get irritated? And it, it's just like we were just swapping stories about that, about going to the park, about how like at the park, it's next to impossible to infiltrate the gaggle of moms there because they're always looking at you like, hey, dude, what's your angle? Are you trying to hit on me? Like, what right. are you trying to do? And you're like, hey, I'm you're a spy for the other side. And you're like, no, I'm one of you. We are in this together. I'm just a dude. Like, I promise you, it's, it's we're doing the same thing here. Nothing shady and here. We just Im- <laughs> right. And we just immediately hit it off again, you know, because we've been friends for some time telling each other, you know, swapping these stories. And we were like, God, we, you know, there's nothing out there. There are so many mom blogs, so many parenting blogs and nothing that has taken, you know, that has become successful done by dads, very involved dads. Like there are dads, you know, things where like dads do hair online, but nothing like, it's like, Hey, you know what? If you're a single parent, man or woman, we got you. If you were raised by a single parent, we got you. If you were raised by two parents who were, who were you know, together, but, uh, you know, didn't have a, a great relationship and you kind of raised yourself, we got you. Like, we, we cover really the whole spectrum. And so we decided to start uh, an Instagram page that, that uh, is basically dedicated to our daughters, but dedicated to the, the cause of, of single parenting with the unique lens told through the eyes of two single dads. And so that's, that's what, um, that's, that's how the fathership started. Um, and what kind of response have you gotten? We've gotten a pretty big response. We kind of float around 50,000 followers on Instagram. We're in the process of developing a television show, wow. uh, which is very exciting. And, uh, yeah, things are, things are moving along very swiftly in that department. That's great. Um, yeah. And I saw on Instagram that you recently took a trip to Israel. Uh, tell me about that trip. I did. Uh, it was, you know, it was kind of a last minute trip. My brother was taking his son there, so my nephew, for his bar mitzvah. And it was just the two of them. And uh, at kind of 10 days before the trip, my brother said, well, why don't you come with us? And I said, uh okay, I, I'm under two deadlines now, you know, two writing deadlines. Cause I've got two writing projects I'm working on. And I said, if I can get that done and I can find a decent plane ticket, then yeah, I'll be there. And so the stars aligned, everything worked out and I went and we had the time of our lives. I hadn't been there since I was 20 years old. So it was basically another life ago. And, um, I'll tell you, you know, what you, what you hear and see on the news is, is not very accurate as to what life is like there. I felt safer there than I feel here mm-hmm. in my house. It's crazy. Um, 
it, it, it's, it's just a very peaceful place. Crime is incredibly low there. Uh, I mean, it's the type of place where you can go to the beach and leave your phone, wallet, keys, whatever, on your towel, go swim for an hour, come back, everything's still there. Wow. Um, the people are, are very hospitable. Um, and, yeah, it's just it was, it was a great trip. It looks beautiful. The photos are really incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today and just for sharing all your stories. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing what is next for Stefan. Yes, I look forward to you seeing it. <laughs> it will be interesting. <laughs> well, thanks, Brandon, and have a great day. Thank you, ladies. All right, take okay, care. Talk soon. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Brandon Barash for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast.